Where do you get your information? I, I want you just to think about that for a second. Uh, where do you go when you first hear about something that you want to know? Right? Do you, like, yeah, so like Adam grabbed his phone, right? And, and when you're on your phone, there's even a ton of opportunities to, to go to different places. Uh, quick question, who, who goes to social media first? Anybody? I mean, truthfully, there's, there's, there's probably more information on there uh, than there is anywhere else. Who, who goes to a news site? A couple people? Okay. All right. Uh, who, who chooses to go to the TV first? Okay, a couple people. Who, who calls their friend? Anybody? Like, just like, I, 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 I'm sure they know, right? There, the fact is, is that there, there are so many mediums and in in ways that we gather and collect our information. Um, but how reliable is that information, right? Like, we always hear the joke, like, can't trust anything you read on the internet. Well, if that's true, every college paper I wrote is false. So, <laughs> so hopefully that's not the case, and hopefully my professors were not duped as well. Um, but there is a particular organization that I want to, um, to talk to you about here for just a second. Uh, it started with um, this funny thing. How many people have seen the movie Independence Day? All right, don't see the, don't see the second one. Um, let me just tell you. I'll save you the... But, uh, but I loved the first one. Thea and I both, and so we, we sort of joke whenever it's on TV or whatever, we'll stop and watch it. And of course, there's the alien invasion. I'm not going to spoil it, or I am going to spoil it, but if you haven't seen it, sorry, it's like 12 years old. Uh, but there's this alien invasion, of course, like uh, just like in any other uh, movie centered around the White House or the president, you always hear this word intelligence, right? You always hear like the intelligence says, and so they, they talk about, but I've always wondered like, where do they get this information? And so I actually studied it a little bit. Now, of course, there's there's multiple agencies, especially like the United States government has their own set of agencies and, and different governments have their set of agencies. But there's one worldwide um, agency that a lot of organizations, businesses, um, governments, uh, different, different thought leaders, they go to this particular one. It's called Oxford Analytica. Who's heard of Oxford Analytica? Okay, Brandon, and that's why he's so smart. I hadn't heard about it either, except for, <laughs> except for uh, when I was listening uh, to someone else who was much smarter than me talk, and they said uh, they had the opportunity to sit in on an Oxford Analytica meeting. So I was like, I'm going to check this place out. Turns out there's a, there's a group of really smart people who meet every single day. It's the first thing they do at Oxford University. And they, and they sit down and they get all of the information for major world happenings. And they take that information, there's like 20 or 25 of them in the room each day, and they take that information and then they go to a network of, of thought leaders and experts in every arena that you could imagine. Politics, economics, health, I mean anything that affects the world globally on a big scale, they have this network of leaders that they go and say, what does this mean? And then they compile all that information into a daily report. Like literally, there's a daily report about everything that's happening in the world. And what do they do with that report? They sell it. And they sell it to the United States government, they sell it to China's government, they sell it to Russia's government, they sell it to business leaders, they sell it to universities, they sell it to anybody who considers themselves important enough to make big decisions on behalf of people on a daily basis. 
And they do that with the most well-trained, well-thought, well-learned people in the world. And they do it for one purpose, because they believe that the best information will lead to the best made decisions. The best information will lead to the best made decisions. I buy that, right? Like when you wake up in the morning, if you don't have the right information, like for example, when does your kids' school start? If you get that wrong, it's gonna be pretty embarrassing when you walk them in or when you're waiting out in the car 45 minutes too long, right? I can, I can attest to that, I've done both of those things, right? When you wake up, you need to have this information. And you need to have information that's good so that you can make the best decision possible. Well, this series that we're jumping into, The Divine Mentor, uh, is an effort to kind of help us understand that God not only has given us the Bible for, for our benefit, but he's given it to us, and it's the best information that we can have to make the best decisions in our life. Now, that might sound like a bold statement, because it is, but it's not one that I made up on my own. In fact, I want to read you the scripture from 2 Timothy. It's one of many times God asserts his own authority of scripture and says, this is important. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, so this, this today, the introduction to this series is going to walk us through how I think we might uh, think a little bit differently about our engagement with scripture. Um, we, we're going to dive into the first chapter of the book, so if you are gonna get the book, um, you, can, you still have time to read it. We'll do that next week. We just simply want to introduce sort of the big idea um, for this series, the introduction. And the, and the idea is this, that God has given us, he has given us the scriptures so that in each and every single day when you wake up, uh, regardless of your circumstances, he will have prepared you, depending on your level of engagement, to make the best decision possible and hopefully that will lead to the best results possible. It doesn't always, but certainly you have a better shot of, of making a better decision. So let's think about how we engage the Bible. I wanna read you guys an account, and this is actually out of the book. It's, it's the prologue, and so when you crack it open, uh, you can read this yourself. But I want you just to listen to this account of, of, of a story um, from the Bible. It says, this is smoke billowed on the horizon, Smoke where there should be no smoke, at least not a towering column like this one. It couldn't be good. Terrorists? What else could it be? As we approached, we could see a few flames licking at piles of rubble. Yet, where there had been homes, streets, playgrounds, gardens, there was nothing at all. Smoke, ruin, ashes, nothing more. Shocked into immobility, we could do nothing but gape. Where were the homes? Where were the women and children? We poured over the edge of the embankment, some sliding, some jumping, some running headlong, falling, getting up, and falling again. Each man ran to the area where his home had been, hoping against hope to see someone moving in the wreckage. 
a beloved face, a form staggering out of the devastation, but there was no one, and no sound but the dry crackle of flames fanned by the lonely desert wind. Where were the bodies? We saw none. The terrorists must have kidnapped every woman and child in the village. We wept without shame. Some cursed, some called out names in their anguish. Muttering among themselves, clusters began to gather, glancing at another, nodding, fingering their weapons. It was like the moment before a violent thunderstorm when the air becomes taut and stifling. That's when he collapsed on his knees and convulsed in agony. It's not as though his loved ones had been spared. We couldn't help but watch as he poured out his sorrow, pleading for help and hope and direction. His body language began to change. Tension seemed to drain away from his shoulders. His hands unclenched and he lifted his head and prayed. Finally, rising again to his feet, he wiped away his tears, squared his shoulders and spoke with a steady voice. That's the account of David leading a group of men to Ziklag where they lived. And I'm going to read it to you from the Bible here in just a sec to sort of compare it. But you can probably put yourself in a situation where deep sorrow or deep difficulty has approached you. And you can probably relate to the feelings that David was experiencing. This is it from 1 Samuel from from the NIV. It says, uh, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their, own, at their town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, uh, Ahinoam and Jezreel and Abigail, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after these band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them, for you will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Now read those two accounts side by side to show you that they're saying the same thing, but the account from the book from Pastor Wayne that he wrote in there uh, was one that really engaged the humanity of what was happening. He really decided, you know what, I could put myself in this situation. I could really feel the emotions, the tension. And sometimes I think that the way that we engage scripture uh, really shapes how our passion level for it, right? Like I read that, that prologue and, I, and at first I was like, this sounds familiar, but, but it didn't really occur to me that it was the same story that I had read in 1 Samuel. And I was like, man, what a difficult place for David. And then of course I, I go on to read and I, and I read the account and I was like, yeah, that's saying the same thing, but for some reason he was just able to capture the humanity about it. He was able to put himself in the place and communicate that to me. They were telling the same story, but the experience was a little bit different because of how he decided 
to engage in. So I want us to think differently about the Bible. We're going to get into a couple ways that we might be able to do that or think differently how we engage the Bible, rather. Um, but I want to read you just, just a real quick set of statistics that are going to hopefully understand why this is important. Uh, I, I was reading an article um, from The Exchange, which is Christianity Today's public or online um, publication that they do. Uh, they kind of just do different articles about the trends in Christianity uh, and what's happening. Some very interesting stuff for sure. And this is, what, um, this is one about the idea or rather the, the epidemic, as they would refer to it, of biblical illiteracy. Of, of not understanding what the Bible says and what it means. And so he, uh, the author says this, Christians claim to believe that the Bible is God's word. We claim it as God's divinely inspired and errant message to us. Yet, despite this, we aren't reading it. A recent research study found that 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally maybe once or twice a month. And almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. Essentially the same number who say they read it every day. If you take those stats and you contrast it with the fact that the Bible is more readily available than it has ever been in history. There's well over 50 English translations alone. And they're available to us on apps and websites and in book form. I mean, you know, it's like I probably have six Bibles at home on my desk, you know. It's like we have them everywhere. We have access to them more than we ever have before. And so it caused me to think that it's not really an access problem, but it's more of a belief problem. In the sense, do we really believe that when God says that this is the story about him, that this is his revealed story about himself and that it's useful for training and equipping us to do every good work, that it's the thing that we need most to make the best decision possible. Do we really believe that? Because if we did, we would be engaging it more. Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 4, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's equating it to our substance, the sustenance by which we exist. That's no small matter, right? I mean, just like the account that, that Pastor Kelly read earlier, there is time and time again where Jesus has said, this is important. The scriptures are, are God's primary mechanism for shaping the way that you think. They're his primary mechanism for shaping the way that you think. Romans 12, 12, 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God knows that the way that you think will determine the way that you live. And so I would assert that he actually is far more concerned about changing the way that you think than he is about changing any of your circumstances. Because circumstances are what they are, but how you process them, how you think about them, is going to determine which way you go, right? There will be good and hard. There will be fun and discouraging things that happen to you in this 2018 calendar year. But how you think about them the information you have to process those things will determine how you respond 
to them. So do you have the best information possible? Just like in David's life, I mean, at that point in 1 Samuel, he, he was not to the top of his leadership pinnacle. He was not to the point where he would be king like he would be shortly like later, but he knew, God knew that from, from the beginning of time, he knew that eventually David would, would need, he would need the information to make the best decision possible. And of course, yeah, he messes it up, but, but he does do a lot of really good things. And over the course of time, God was changing the way he thought. He, he wanted him to respond to him in a, in a, in a form of, of humility, not out of anger. He wanted him to respond in, God, what do you want me to do? Not just run off chasing something that would never go his way. God is far more concerned about the way that you think than he is about your circumstances. So I wanna talk about two ways um, for us to, to how we, we would maybe engage the Bible a little differently than we are uh, and, and just kind of talk about this as a precursor to what we hope would be um, just the, the engagement throughout this series of, of letting God be your divine mentor and letting the stories that are recorded in the Bible be more than just a, a, a a book full of things that are informational, but letting them relate to you, letting them draw close to your soul and mentor you. So the first thing is this. Uh, uh, I want us to think about this, about the Bible this way. It was actually given to us for our benefit. The Bible was given to us for our benefit. So much of my life, especially in, in like high school and junior high, uh, was spent feeling bad that I wasn't reading my Bible every day. And certainly, I mean, even beyond that, but like that was like, oh, I'm, what am I doing? I'm a terrible human being, right? Like I would hear these stories of people's like unwavering commitment to reading for hours a day. And I'm like, well, yeah, now when you're a teenager, you had hours every day to read the Bible, even though you probably don't, right, Micah? It's okay, me and you, were in the same boat, bro. You'll be just fine. <coughs> But I, I would feel so badly, and, and the reason I think that, you know, the root of that feeling was is I just, I just wasn't excited about the Bible because I, I viewed it as a dutiful response to God. Like, I should do this because I'm a Christian. I wasn't thinking about it in terms of this is actually for my benefit. I think about, uh, I was thinking about like, sort of how this plays out in my adult life. Um, anybody, anybody members at Costco? Costco members in here? Okay, so if, if, if you're not at Costco, you probably are winning the battle, but um, I'll, I'll walk you through my process here. So, so when we first signed up, first of all, it's like, yes, I'm part of a club, right? Like you're paying to shop at their store, which they're winning already, which I was like, okay. They say it's a good deal, but the fact is if you walk to any store and buy 72 boxes of juice, they're probably going to give you a good deal. Okay, they're gonna give you a good deal. So, but anyway, so I, I, I'm in the club, right? And those of you who are with me, yes, we're in the club together. Um, but, but something happened a few weeks into shopping at Costco that, that you might be able to relate to. Um, I took my white or red or whatever, like basic membership card and I threw it on the, you know, on the conveyor belt of food. And then someone behind me threw the executive member card. And I was like, how come I'm not an executive member? 
right? Like this competitive sense of why are they more special than I am, right? And so, of course, I had to like find out, well, it turns out they just paid more. And yeah, there are some benefits. And yes, I am now an executive member. Um, <laughs> so they beat me there too. But it's for, it's because they give you money back, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the point being, the point being, I felt inferior because I wasn't an executive member, right? And that's like the same feeling I had as a Christian. I was like, I'm inferior because I'm not reading my Bible every day. But that was because my thought process was all wrong. It was, it was the Costco card theology, as I'll call it. See, God, God does not want you, even though he does want you to engage the scripture, it's not because he's trying to get you to prove your undivided loyalty. He's, he's doing it because he knows it's good for you and it's good for me, right? God doesn't need anything else. He's God, right? So anything that he gives us is for our benefit. It's his story about himself written for our benefit. And when we think about it that way, it changes. It changes how we might think when we don't get into scripture every single day, because let's be honest, that's just a reality. It's a reality for every person in this room, including me. We don't always get into scripture every single day, but here's the thing. When we see it as something that's beneficial to us, as maybe the best information we could possibly have to make the best decision possible for our lives, that raises the stakes. It changes the dynamic of what's going on. It makes it like, okay, I really, really wanna do this. And, and, and let me encourage you with this. When you don't, don't beat yourself up over it because you're still an executive member. God has made you that way, right? Don't beat yourself up to it, just, just over it. Just go to the next day and dive right in. Realizing that scripture was given to us for our benefit, that is the first way we have to shift our thinking. The second one is this. The Bible is a collection of stories about real people in real situations who God wants to use to mentor us in our situations. I've often made the default mistake of just considering the Bible as I would any other book. Just a collection of stories, fiction or nonfiction is not really the point, but just something that is informational, that if I can consume it, um, if I can consume it, I've done my job, per se. But in reality, it, it's actually a collection of, of events where there were real people in real situations who God knew would benefit me from knowing about it, who would benefit you from knowing about it. I want you to think about Paul. If you're unfamiliar with his story, uh, it's a pretty awesome one, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version so you can follow along, right? Uh, shortly after um, Jesus's uh, crucifixion, resurrection, and, and then he charges his followers, the Christians of the time of the day, to, to start the church. Uh, Paul is probably the single greatest oppressor of that group. He is more interested in killing and imprisoning and torturing and discouraging every Christian than he is anything else in life. Like he is celebrating when things are going wrong for Christians and he's, he's leading the charge. Until, if you know the story, God meets him on, on the desert road in the middle of nowhere, 
and he transforms his life. And Paul's thought process, I won't get into it too much, had to have changed from why in the world would he have not just killed me, instead changed my mind, and now wants to use me to do the very thing that I was opposing. I imagine that he was like, and he records later in many of the books of the Bible, that that changed everything for him. It was, it was this, this sense of gratitude and compulsion now for the good of Jesus, for the message of grace and the cross and the gospel, that he was turned into probably one of the greatest church leaders, church planters, and the most influential Christian ever. And you're thinking to yourself, like I probably do, how could I possibly imagine myself being in his shoes? First of all, he was way better at being bad than I could be. And then when God changes him to good, he's way better at being good. There's no way that I could possibly relate to this guy, except for, as he records in Romans 7, he's just like you and I in this way. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Can you relate to that? I can. The greatest, most influential Christian ever says, every day it's hard. If you can't relate to that, you're not breathing right? Like, that's the thing. Like, like it's, it's actually there. You read his conquests and his influence, and you think to yourself, wow, but then you read something like this, and you're more like, wow, he's just like me. He's just like me in so many ways. We have to change our mind from thinking about the book as something that's just simply information, that the Bible is just this manuscript of rules and, and different things that we have to follow as Christians. It has good principles in it. It has good teachings in it. But the fact of the matter is, it's far more than that. It's relational. It's relational. God designed it and authored it and created it and put it on your phone so that he can interact with you. Right? He wants that interaction. He wants that relationship. And it's the greatest revelation of his thinking that we've ever had. So we have to think differently about it. It's for our benefit and it's real and it's designed to help us out. And I want to end with this. So I, we, we had a great conversation at our staff meeting this week. And, um, and it, was, it was centered around sort of the end of it was around this idea. And this is this is the, the, the big question that I would pose to you, is why bother? Right, like with all of this stuff, with like getting into the Bible and, and, and seeing the Bible for what it is, um, it, it, it's for our benefit and it's full of real stories about real people in difficult situations. You have to ask yourself still, why bother? Why bother? And in order to help us 
um, sort of understand the why bother nature, why we should bother, I created for us something that will be very useful for you and I, and it's the why bother scale, okay? So I'm gonna walk you through the four levels of bothersome <laughs> and why I think you should bother making this a rhythm of your life, okay? So, so the first category is this. It's the ought to know category. Anybody know what that is? You ought to know. Okay, well that's, the, so yes, right? Auto know is one of the many moons of Jupiter. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? Why would you? Why would you bother to understand why auto know is part of Jupiter's solar system, right? Or Jupiter's planet. You don't. And that's why it's the first level of bother because you shouldn't bother at all, right? <laughs> that's like, okay, so we're starting somewhere. There's no reason to bother. Now you know it, but not, it's not something you ought to know, right? It's just <laughs> now you know. So that's category one. Then we scale up just a little bit, okay? And, and uh, category two is titled Someone Else's Crying Kid. <laughs> right? Because here's what happens. It's a little bit more than Jupiter's moon, but you hear someone else's kid crying, you quietly make sure there's no blood or imminent danger, and as long as there's not, you leave. <laughs> right? That's the correct response. Someone else's crying kid. You did do something. You bothered a little bit, but as long as there's no danger, they'll deal with it. It'll be fine. It happens a lot at staff meeting. We get all of our kids downstairs. They're all screaming at each other, and we're all like, yeah, they're fine. Let's do something productive. Then there's category three, so we're moving up now. We're in the top two categories, and this is the poopy diaper category. All right? Now, let me tell you why that this is... Here's the thing about the poopy diaper category. Um, you almost always bother dealing with it, but it's only because if you don't, the consequences are worse. <laughs> right? As soon as you realize that no one else is gonna do it for you, you're like, okay, I'm gonna change the diaper and I'm gonna take it out. So you have like this sense of bother that's actually kind of important, but you're doing it out of like obligation and like, uh, maybe someone else is there and then you really feel bad because you're like, oh, I'm sorry, it smells so bad. So you have this strong sense of bother, but it's out of duty. It's not really something that you're like excited about, which of course leads us to our last one. And this is the winning lotto ticket. The winning lotto ticket, right? And here's the thing. It might be worth $1, but you are darn sure gonna cash it in because you want money. It might cost you more to drive there to cash it in, but you want money, so you are going to bother to cash in the winning lotto ticket. Now, maybe it's, worth, maybe it's worth a lot more than that, maybe not, that's not the point. The fact is that the scale for which, or the, the level to which you will bother for something uh, it is so much higher when you've been giving a, wit a winning lotto ticket. And let me tell you, God has given us the winning lotto ticket. And every single person has access to it. And every single person should bother to make it part of their life. I'm gonna land here with this. I, I think we've established that it's important for you to engage the scripture. And I think we've even sort of touched on maybe the ways that we might 
start shifting the way we think about scripture, maybe increase our passion, understanding that it's really for us. But I want to give you the four things that Pastor Wayne mentions in the introduction in the book to help you just sort of fully uh, understand as a person who, as Pastor Kelly mentioned earlier, has deep, deep knowledge of the Bible. And he would say that these four things are, are critical reasons that you should bother to make Scripture a greater part of your life, to make the Bible a bigger part of your life. The first one is this. When you engage the Bible, you will find the help you need when tough tests come. They're going to come. They are going to come. And when they come, it will be the thing that gives you, as we said earlier, the best information possible to make the best decision possible. The second reason is because when you engage the Bible, you walk with both heroes and fools of the Bible. You not only get to see the Pauls, well, Paul was kind of both, but you not only get to see like the big wins, but you get to see the really big losses. I'm reading, I'm reading uh, this year, I saw a really funny joke on Twitter. It was, shout out to everyone reading Genesis 1-1. It was like a Christian comedian that was on January. I was like, this, that's funny. Um, but I'm reading the one that's like, as it happened, so like the chronological Bible. And so yesterday, it actually jumped into Job. And Job's story, oh my goodness, just the first five chapters of it. I mean, he loses everything and he's like, didn't do anything really to deserve it. Right? But, but you see that these people are like, just forget God. Look what he's done to you. And he's like, no, that's, I'm not going to do that. You know, and it's, just, and it's, it's incredible to watch his, like, and, you know, in the first part of the book, at least, to like, f- just watch the way that he's like, enduring these terrible things. And he's like, no, I'm going to stick with it, even when people are chiming and chirping at him to do the other. Right? You get to walk with both the heroes and the fools. The number, th- the number three thing, or the third thing, when you en- engage the scripture, you start thinking like God thinks so that you can respond the way that he responds. You think like he thinks so that you can respond the way that he responds. It changes a lot of things. I'm sure everybody in here has a story where they did something that they wished they hadn't done, probably involved a screaming kid, Maybe not, I don't know. But then they all have things that are like, you know what, that, I actually made the right choice there, and it's, it's because what God's done in my life. And then the fourth thing, when you, avoid, when, you, uh, when you engage the scripture, you avoid costly errors and mistakes that lead to decades of misery. Avoid costly errors and mistakes that lead to decades of misery. Now, those four things in and of themselves put me in category four. If I, if I can grab those four things, if, I, if God can work through those four things, I've got the winning lotto ticket. But it's going to be so much more. And over the next 12 weeks, we're going to dive in, and it's going to be amazing. Not because of what we're saying, but because of what God's doing through the scripture. So you have the winning lotto ticket. I want you to ask yourself this question, whether or not you, or these two questions rather, each and every day this week, whether, whether you engage the scriptures at all or not on that particular day, I want you to ask yourself these two questions. What is God saying to me 
and what am I going to do about it? If you consider those two questions each and every day, it will, it will change the direction in which you go, right? It will change the, it'll change the way you think, act, and treat other people, the way that you handle your finances. It will, it will just, it will radically change the way that you process each and every day. So I want you to ask yourself, what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? Okay, do me a favor and stand up. We're gonna get out of here. I'm gonna pray over you guys. Um, today, you know, I, I, think, I think we communicated this well, but the point is not like we want you to go out and start a reading plan and check in with you every day and make sure, why aren't you doing your reading? You know, it's not, that's not like the impetus of this series. It's the relational element of what Scripture brings to our lives. It's the importance of letting God speak into your life because as life goes, so comes trouble, so comes difficulty, and God wants to be able to use those situations to do something better in your life. He wants to do new and better things in and through you. And you have to know what he's saying about himself to understand how he's going to do that. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for this awesome opportunity to gather. Um, God, I pray that this would be a fruitful year as we've prayed already, God, that this year would just be amazing for people. And God, when difficult things come, help us to think and respond like you think and respond. Let us internalize these things that you've given to us for our benefit and help us to encourage each other, to love each other and pick each other up. God, I'm thankful for this church. I pray your blessing over all of it and all that we do. Um, help us to really enjoy being together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week. Have a good week.